You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today and uh, excited about part three of Broken Vessels. Next Sunday, uh, we'll wrap up this series talking about our identity in Christ. And so uh, continue to invite folks to be a part of that. And uh, then we're going to jump back into the Gospel of John uh, as we continue on. Man, uh, last Sunday, we, we talked about forgiveness and, and forgiving others and how that plays a huge role in our walk with Christ. And so we said that forgiveness is a decision to care cancel a debt. And so we looked at various passages and, and we looked at how Jesus is calling us to cancel a debt as he would cancel our debt. We said that we don't forgive because people deserve it. We forgive because we have been forgiven. And so as we, as we think through it, last week was talking about how we forgive others. Today, I want us to focus on how we are called to forgive ourselves, uh, which sometimes is the most difficult uh, thing for us to do in this. And so instead of seeing one particular passage, we're going to look at several passages and several verses this morning. Uh, but forgiving ourselves is, is sometimes a difficult thing for us to do. And, and we like to play the game, uh, you know, we call if only, you know, the if only game. You ever played that game with yourself? It's like, if only I would have listened to so-and-so. If only I knew now, knew then what I know now. If only I hadn't have gone there. If only I would have listened and if only I would have done this. And we just keep playing that broken record in our mind of, of, of things that we wish we would have done. And, and that just continues to heap on uh, the guilt in our life. And, and the reality is we all have guilt. We all have mistakes. We all stumble. We all fail. We all make bad decisions. We hurt people and people hurt us. And when we sin, we automatically begin to feel um, a level of guilt, even for non-believers. Romans 1 tells us that God has given us an awareness of, uh, through our conscience, what sin is. And so, so even for an unbeliever, they experience guilt. But as a believer, you know, we sin, we experience guilt in our life. And so this morning, I want to talk about regrets. I want, to, I want us to talk about like what we normally do with our regrets and what God's Word tells us to do with our regrets, because we'll see that there's a pretty big difference, I think, in what we typically do and what God calls us to do. First off, let's start with what we normally do with regret. And, and one of the first things I think we do with regret is that we try to simply ignore that it's there. We try to just simply ignore our guilt like it's not even there. We pretend like, you know, life is just fine and we just continue to live life. You know, if you try to ignore your regret, chances are you'll do good for a while. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll bury that, you, you know, you'll put it in the back of your mind. You won't think about it, but then you'll watch a movie and it'll remind you. You'll hear a song, you'll go to church and we'll talk about something in small group or at church and, and it will bring up that old memory. And if you've not dealt with that memory biblically, then you'll feel terrible all over again for that situation, that sin in your life. We try to ignore it. A few ways that we try to ignore it. First off, we, we try to ignore it by minimizing it. And so we, think, we say things like, well, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, it happened, but I've dealt with it. I'm over it, you know, and, and we try to downplay the situation in our life. And we think that that helps us deal with the guilt. And it does for a while, but ultimately it doesn't satisfy the regret that is in our life. Chances are it was a big deal. 
And so how we uh, express that, how we deal with that, it must be equally as important and weighty. So we try to minimize it. Sometimes we just simply try to rationalize it. So we say things like, well, you know, lots of people have done this. Lots of people have gone through this. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I might have made some mistakes, but I'm not about, as bad as that guy. And, you know, it's always easy to, to look and, and to find other people that have done things that are worse than us. And so uh, rationalizing our guilt helps us to feel a little bit better. But ultimately, it doesn't allow us to deal with our guilt. And then finally, we, we ignore it by simply compromising our beliefs. And so we'll compromise what we, what we actually believe and what we think God's word means or, or teaches. And so, you know, we, we commit that sin. We feel regret for that. And then it's like, well, you know, uh, it's not that bad. We do it once, you know, we kind of feel bad, but we do it a second time, a third time, a fourth time. And the more we are involved in that, the more we don't feel bad for it anymore. And, and so we just compromise and we change our beliefs and we say, well, it's not really that bad. But ignoring it, uh, minimizing it, rationalizing our guilt, compromising our beliefs doesn't allow our guilt to be dealt with in a way that helps us to live free and, and, and experience Christ as he's called us to. So ignoring it doesn't work. The second thing that we like to do is we like to blame other people. Man, it just feels good when we feel guilty to blame other people. It takes the attention off of ourselves and it puts it on other people where, where, let's face it, it feels so much better. And so by blaming other people, we we really fall in line with our first parents. I mean, this is a tactic used from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam messes up, he sins and God comes to him and he says, Adam, what'd you do? Why'd you do this? And, And Adam took it like a man and he blamed his wife. Remember, he was like, you know what? She gave me the fruit, God. He was quick to blame. He even blamed God because he said, hey, God, this is the woman that you gave me. You gave her to me, God. It's really your fault. You should have given me somebody better and this wouldn't have happened. We love to blame other people. Balance is really kind of what we're after in our minds. And I think, you know, blaming helps balance the guilt in our life because let's just imagine in your mind, there's this scale. And anytime we feel regret, that starts to kind of weigh us down. And it, it really makes us feel terrible when we feel guilty. I mean, let's just be honest. We feel terrible for it. And so as that guilt weighs us down, it affects us psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. And the thing that balances out that scale is when we criticize and look to other people and, and, and see their faults. Because when I can look to other people and I start to criticize them, then I start to add on to the blame scale and it begins to even back out. And in my mind and in my heart, like, I don't feel so bad anymore. Now, I haven't handled it biblically. I've not handled it the way God wanted me to. But let's just face it. Most of the time, we're not after a biblical resolution. We're just after something that makes us feel better about ourselves. Romans 2, 1 really speaks to this when it says this. This will be on the screen. He says this, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. You see, when you become the judge and you put on the, the, the black robe and the gavel and you start judging how other people are, are living and, and why it's wrong, even though it makes you feel better about yourself, essentially what you're doing is you're condemning yourself. If you go back and you read Romans 1 and you get into Romans 2 there, you see that you yourself are just as guilty as the things that you condemn other people for. 
And so he teaches that we condemn ourselves by blaming others and ultimately blaming other people doesn't help us resolve our guilt. The third thing we love to do when we're guilty is we love to beat ourselves up with memories of our failures. You know, we love to beat ourselves up with past failures and, and, and psychologists call it self-punishment. And so we put ourselves through a variety of, of, in a variety of ways, just punishing ourselves for our past mistakes. And so we make ourselves feel terrible all over again. We condemn ourselves. We criticize ourselves. You know, we, we berate ourselves and, and we say things like, God can't forgive me. God can't use me. I'm a terrible person. I'm an ugly person. And we start teaching and saying this stuff to ourselves and ultimately we'll begin to believe it. And we love to have our own little pity party and we love to just beat ourselves up over our past mistakes. David knows exactly how we feel in Psalm 38, 4 and 8. This is what he, he says. David says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. <laughs> ever, ever been there? My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. <laughs> my back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. And this guy was down. This guy was out. This guy has experienced some, some, some true pain and suffering in his life. And, 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 and at this point in his life, David had committed adultery and he'd committed murder. So in a sense, he should feel bad. We talked about a, a, a manufactured shame or, or we could even say a manufactured guilt today uh, where we, we, we heap guilt on ourselves for things that we didn't commit against God. Um, but then there's a godly guilt and, and God uses guilt to lead us to repentance and lead us closer to him. And so David should feel bad for what he had done. He, he should experience guilt at this point. He should be, he, he should be experiencing this because he did some, some things that were sinful. But the question is, should he uh, deal with the weight of this guilt? Should he carry this guilt on for the rest of his life? Should he feel verse uh, uh, four through eight in chapter 38 of Psalm for the rest of his life? The answer is no. God wants us to deal with our guilt in a biblical way and move forward in the knowledge of his truth. And so for us, we inflict this self-punishment on ourselves and, and, and it's not the way of the Spirit. One of the ways that we inflict self-punishment is actually making ourselves sick. Um, we, we can actually, you know, allow our, our minds to go so negative and be so critical of ourselves that it actually, through that guilt and through that worry and anxiety, it can actually develop illnesses in our body. And so when David says that his back is filled with searing pain. Now I go to the chiropractor and I've got a, I've got a good dear friend that's a chiropractor and he would say, he would look at this verse and he would say, no doubt the guilt and anxiety that this, that David is experiencing was affecting his back in such a way that was causing him pain. He says that there was no health in his body. Now I'm a doctor of theology, I'm not a doctor of medicine, but do any kind of research online and you'll find very quickly the scientific evidence that points to the fact that our emotional uh, health how our, our mental health directly affects our physical health. I mean, that's just been proven. And so we see this in, in, in this chapter with David. We see this in our own life. Like if you allow yourself to go down the path of, of self-punishment, don't be surprised if you wind up sick in some way. Another way that 
we inflict punishment on ourselves is just depression. We allow ourselves to slip into depression. We, we believe the lies from the enemy. We begin to believe that we're worthless, that nobody cares about us, that, that God can't forgive us. And so we slip into that way of thinking and, and yeah, that's gonna take us right to depression and, and it's gonna keep us there and that's gonna cause us to isolate ourselves from the church and isolate ourselves from, from other relationships and continue to keep us in a cycle of pain. The ultimate form of self-punishment is suicide. Statistically, now suicide is, is now the number one killer of college students and the number two killer of high school students. Why? Perhaps people are walking around with condemnation in their heart and in their life. They're filled with regret and they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to, how to overcome these emotions and feelings even at a young age. So, so we handle guilt in the wrong way oftentimes, but this, the Bible speaks clearly on how you and I should handle guilt. And so let's dive into that now. I think the Bible is clear that if we feel guilt over sin in our life, the first thing that we need to do is we need to confess it. We need to admit our guilt. Here's what David says in Psalm 51. He says, I recognize my faults. I'm conscious of my sin. They'll put Psalm 32 on the screen here. Psalm 32, five says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my heart. David here says, I'm acknowledging my sin. I'm gonna confess my transgressions to God and he's gonna forgive me of my sin, of my iniquity, of my wrongdoings. You see, confession is often the most painful step, isn't it? To actually admit that we were it's even hard to say, isn't it? It's like, we were wrong. It's hard for us even to get it off our tongue and over our mouth and, and, and even admit that. But this is the first step if we're gonna overcome guilt in our life, that we were wrong, that we, we, we have messed up. And we go to verses like 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness righteousness. Let that verse sink in. Now, this is one of those verses that's just one of those, you know, you got to memorize this one. Like, like we got Jesus wept, we got that one down, and then we got to get this verse down because this begins to change our life. When we actually believe that and we actually begin to admit to God where we have failed, where our sin is that and so God is never surprised by your your statements by the way he's never shocked he's never surprised by what you're going to confess to him because he already knows what you're dealing with it's 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 an acknowledgement it's a recognition that you've missed the mark that you've sinned that you've failed when I was a, a kid I took this verse and I, I I really began to develop my own theology of confession now I didn't know I was doing this but but as a teenager especially I, I really abused this verse. And so when I read this verse and I saw, man, God's obligated, you know, when I confess that he's got to forgive me of my sins, he's going to cleanse me of everything. And so I fell into like this, this, this confession of sin cycle type stuff. And, and what I would do is like, I would, I would, you know, from time to time, whenever I needed something from God, I would be reminded of my sin. And I would be like, well, God's not going to give me this or do this, you know, with sin in my life. So I've got to empty my sin bucket, you know, so, so I would spend time thinking about all the sins that I had committed and I would try to confess all of my sins and, and uh, you know, basically, you know, you get to the end of that and then it's like, and God, 
if there's any sin that I didn't think of, forgive me for that one too, you know? You throw that out there. Oh, and then by the way, and just in case God saved me, just in case it didn't take last time, you know? And so you throw that in as a kid because you don't really understand the gospel yet. And so, so you have this, this, this immature view, but, but so we empty the sin bucket and then we feel like, okay, now God can do something, can bless us. But, but, but where that gets you into trouble is like when you're tempted. Because if you've got First John 1, 9 rattling around in your head and then you're tempted to sin and you're like, uh, this is probably not the right thing to do. However, God has this deal. It's a pretty good deal. Like you can go ahead and do it and then just confess it later and he's obligated to forgive you. It's a great deal, you know? And so for me, it was always like before a basketball game um, because for me, playing basketball and playing sports, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, always wanted to, to play well and, and always wanted, you know, God's favor on my life. And so it was always like, you know, before the game started and the national anthem was playing, you know, at, at every basketball game, national anthem plays. And I'm like, all right, God, please give me a good game. You know, it's like a minute long, but I got so much done in that one minute, you know, it's like, okay, but I know if you're going to give me a good game, I'm going to have to confess. So let me go through all this. Let me empty my sin bucket and forgive me for this and forgive me this, forgive me this. Oh yeah. I got it off my chest. Now I feel better. God's obligated to forgive me. He's obligated to give me a good game now. So it's like, here we go, you know? And so for me, the cycle of confession and the abuse of 1 John 1, 9 became, how do I make myself feel better? How, how, do I, how, how do I get this weight of guilt off of me? Because I knew I was in sin and I was doing things that I shouldn't do. And, and let's just face it, we confess all of these things, but in the back of our mind, we're thinking, you know what the reality is? I'm probably gonna do this tomorrow too, but let me go ahead and get this out here, God. And, and so we just abuse this confession cycle. We think this actually works, you know? So think about it like this. Let's just pretend like you've got a friend who, who bashes you, who lies about you and slanders you, you know, and then shows up on Sunday and says, hey, I apologize for doing that. And you kind of deal with it. But then he leaves and he goes back into the community and he, he goes back to the street slandering and lying about you. Now, what kind of relationship would you have with that guy? Zero relationship, right? He's manipulating. He's, he, this, is, this is not somebody you can trust. So, so we, we would never have a relationship with somebody that, that would do that to us. And yet this is exactly how we treat God. Hey God, forgive me for this, forgive me for this, forgive me for this. And then the very next day we walk right back into it and we do it all over again. You see, the purpose, and we hear this all the time, you know, we hear this all the time, just confess it, confess it, you'll feel so much better. And there's truth to that. It's like, you know, if there's sin in our life and we've got to confess something to our spouse or confess to our kids or somebody at work or whatever, and this guilt is just weighing us down, it's on our shoulders, and it's like we go to them and we, we finally confess, and then it's like, man, I'm so glad I did it. I feel so much better. But the reality is when we read the Bible, feeling so much better is not the purpose of confession. Guilt relief is not the purpose of confession. My abuse of 1 John 1, 9 and perhaps maybe your abuse of 1 John 1, 9 and how you're living your life and how you're confessing sin to God is not so that you could feel better. Now that's, that is definitely a, a, a benefit of confession. But in the Bible, when we see the word confession, when we see examples of people in the Bible that are actually confessing, confession is always associated with change. It's always associated with repentance. 
And so it's not just, hey, let me get this off my shoulders. Let me confess so that I can feel better. The Bible is about confessing so that it's, it becomes one step in many steps of bringing people out of the darkness and into the light. It's simply the beginning of a process that ultimately leads us to change our lifestyle, that, that leads us to change our behavior. Now think about Zacchaeus. All right, Zacchaeus was the wee little man, right, that climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Now, Zacchaeus was not a cute little man, all right? Get that image out of your mind. He was evil, people hated him, all right? He stole their money, he was a traitor to his country, all right? He was a tax collector. And so when he accepts Christ, when he spends that day with Jesus and Jesus changes his life, do you remember what he did? Anybody remember? He, he gave to all the people that he had, he had wronged, that he had stole from. And you remember how much? Anybody? Four times. He gave four times what he had wronged people from. Now, look, when he did that, Jesus said, Jesus says, in fact, yes, today salvation has come to your house. In other words, Zacchaeus here is confessing his sin. He's, he's receiving Jesus into his life. And as a result, there is change, there is repentance, there is a changed heart evidenced by what he is doing. He, he, what he is doing, the, the evidence of his change is that now I'm giving back to everybody that I have wronged. And so when we look at confession in the Bible, it is always tied to repentance. It's always tied to a changed heart. So maybe you continue to deal with guilt in your life because you're in this confession cycle that I was in. You're just kind of running around doing this and you're not really taking your sin seriously and you're not really, you know, taking the, the, the following steps to overcome guilt. And so, as I said, it's the first step. It's a step in a series of steps to overcome our guilt and our shame and our life. Perhaps you need to follow James 5.16 that says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, the point here is there are certain times and certain areas of our life where if we've sinned against somebody or, or, or there's sin in our life, the, the, the point for us is, is like, I need not only just to make this a private confession to God, but perhaps I need to confess this to, you know, a, a godly leader, a small group leader, an elder, a pastor, somebody like that. Because what that does is as I confess my sin to somebody else, now it's, in, now it's out and now that it's out, now I have accountability and that person can help me walk through that sin so that it's not just a private issue between me and God. It's very easy to say, okay, God, forgive me and then go right back to it. But when I confess it to another godly believer that's gonna hold me accountable to that, now there's, there's a little bit more accountability. There's a little bit more guidance as we walk through that. And so perhaps that's a step that you might need to take. Confess your guilt. Secondly, we've gotta accept God's forgiveness. Now, sometimes it's, it's, it's like, okay, God, forgive me. We step into confession and we can, we can do that deal. And it's step two that we forget to, to follow next. We forget to actually accept God's forgiveness. And this is huge. Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who live in Christ Jesus. Now, wouldn't you like to live your life with no condemnation, with no guilt? 
I mean, absolutely, we all want to experience that. And like when we are in Christ as a believer, we are no longer condemned. In Christ, there is no condemnation. So listen, if you've confessed that sin and you're beginning to accept God's forgiveness and yet you still feel guilty for that, who do you think is speaking that into your life? The enemy. It's not God. God is not in the, in the business of condemning you for things that you've already received forgiveness for. The enemy, the Bible says, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so these are where the thoughts might be coming from in your life and, and maybe some, some other people that maybe you're hanging out with that are, that are breeding these lies in your life. One of the most important words in the entire Bible is the word justified. And in Romans 5.1, it really explains what justified really is. And so as we think about accepting God's forgiveness, let's look at this verse. It'll be on the screen. Romans 5.1. It says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so this is huge. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So, so peace with God only happens when, when our sins have been forgiven. You, you and nobody could ever have peace with God unless their sins are forgiven. So, so as our sins are forgiven, we have peace with God and that only comes through Jesus Christ. And he says, we've been justified, how? By our faith in Jesus dying on the cross. Now, what does the word justified mean? The word justified simply means that God declares us innocent. He declares us innocent. So, so that Without Christ, we are guilty before God. Think, think of a legal setting, God being the judge. Without Jesus in our life, standing before God, we are condemned, we are guilty. With Jesus in our life, standing before the judge, he declares us innocent by faith in Jesus, what he did on the cross. Now you say, that doesn't make sense to me because I'm not, I'm not innocent, Trent. Exactly, that's his grace. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you who are guilty and by faith in my son Jesus who died on the cross, I'm gonna declare you innocent. We've gotta experience that grace and we've gotta accept that love to actually overcome the guilt in our life. And one of the reasons why that may be difficult is because we, we are aware of just how sinful we are. And it's like, really? God, really? There's no condemnation? Really? You've justified me, but I don't deserve that. And, and he says, yeah, I know. He forgives us of our sin. And, and the reason why it's hard for us is because we experience forgiveness so much different from, from our friends and our family, you know? When we experience forgiveness, it's not as, as God forgives because God forgives instantly, doesn't he? I mean, it's instantly. We like to drag it out a little bit. You know, I want you to grovel. I know you said you're sorry, but I want you to get down on your hands and knees and do it. I really, you know, that was a really bad one, man. You need to, you know, we, we like people to kind of suffer for a while. We like to stonewall them and not talk to them for a while until they actually grovel, you know. But God forgives instantly. I was able to lead a new friend to Christ this week and I was so pumped up because I, I was sharing, sharing uh, the, <clears throat> the gospel with him 
And he was like on the verge and he was like, man, I think I, I know I need to do this, but I'm just not quite ready, that kind of thing. And so another week passed and I'm praying for him. And, and so this past week he accepted Christ on Tuesday. I was so pumped. And, and so I'm explaining this, like, because one of his issues was like, you know, I just feel like, you know, if I accept Christ, I, there's just still sin in my life. I don't see how I'm going to overcome it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I get that. I know, I know what, you're, you're, what you're experiencing, but this is the reality. Like God forgives you of your sin he justifies you. He declares you righteous. He declares you innocent and then begins to empower you to overcome that sin. And so, so, so when we experience God's forgiveness, I said, when you, when you receive him, you receive his forgiveness instantly. It's an instantaneous forgiveness. And so God, God, forgive me. I am a sinner. And it's instantly the Holy Spirit comes into our life and saves us. Not only is it instant, but it's also complete. God forgives us completely. God is forgiving us when we, ex when we accept Christ by faith. He's forgiving us of our past sin. He's forgiving us for our present sin. And he's forgiving us for our future sin. And so that, that's where people get confused. Like our future sin is forgiven as well. We're declared innocent before God. And so, so as I'm living my life, I sin. And so, you know, if you've got Catholic friends, they feel like they've got to go to the priest and confess every single sin. And like, there is a practice of confession that we need to experience in our life to bring us, you know, to holiness and, and to draw us closer to God, to overcome guilt. This is part of the process, but I'm just going to forewarn you here. Like, you're never going to be able to confess all of your sin. You are so sinful. I am so sinful through and through. Like I, I am blinded to sins in my life and, and, and we are blinded to sin. And so there's never gonna be a day when we go, whew, like I enlisted it all. I finally got it. If, if you ever get to that point, you just added one to the list. It's called pride. It's the root of all evil. <laughs> and so for us, when we, when we come to this, it's like God forgives us instantly. He forgives us completely. And see, in marriage, like, we don't like this. It's like the old, old couple that was married and the, and the, and the husband, he, he sinned against his wife. He offended her and he, he came to her and said, honey, could you please, you know, forgive me? I'm sorry for this. And she said, sure, I, I can forgive. I can forget. And so they, they mended the, the deal. And from time to time, though, the, the woman would, would bring up that, that old, that old of, of offense, you know, and throw it in his face. And, and after so many years, he finally just said, hey, you know, honey, I, I thought we dealt with this. You know, you said you were going to forgive and forget. And she said, oh, I have, but I don't want you to forget. <laughs> you know, it's kind of how we live. I'll forgive and forget, but I don't want you to forget that I forgave, you know? And so we hold that over people's heads and we hold that over our spouse's head, but that's not how God works. That is not how God forgives. In fact, Psalm 103 Verse three says, as far as east is from west, so have you removed my sins from me. Isn't that beautiful? Like, like east and west, they never end. So God says, I'm gonna remove your sin from you. And, and, and I'm not gonna remember it any longer. I'm not gonna throw it back out at your face. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna throw that back out at you so that you have to deal with it all over again. Psalm 38, 17 says, you have cast all my sins behind your back. You see, God doesn't want you to look at them again. God doesn't want to look at them again. He, he wants to put them in the background. He wants us to, to, to move forward in the light of his truth. He doesn't want us to bring that, those emotions back up and, and, and self-punish ourselves all over again. 
John 3, verse 17, right after the, the famous John 3, 16, for God so loved the world verse, it says that Jesus said that I did not come to condemn the world, but I came to save it. Now think about that for a minute. When, why is it that when we have regrets, when we feel guilty, we run away from God? We run away from his church. We run away from Christian relationships and fellowship because it is, it, it, he's the solution. Like, like he's the one that, that, that comes not to condemn the world. He doesn't wanna condemn you. He wants to change you. He's the one that wants to bring abundant life to you. And it's like our guilt does this weird thing in us. Like we're not worthy to come to church. We're not worthy to hear about God or to come to God. And it's like, he's the one with the solution. He's not coming to condemn. He's interested in making you a new person. And so for some of you today, it's like Jesus died on the cross so that you would stop nailing yourself to the cross. It's like you continue to suffer and continue to berate yourself. And, and, and there's gotta be a point where you've confessed your sin and you believe and accept the promises of God. And then thirdly, once you confessed and once you've accepted that, then you can do step three, which is to forgive yourself and focus on the future. This is where many people um, really stumble because it's probably the hardest step to forgive yourself. Here's what Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? You see, he says, I'm doing a new thing. Don't keep focusing on all that stuff that happened in your past. Just like Elsa said, gotta let it go, man. <laughs> There's so much truth in that song. We gotta focus on the future here. We've got to look ahead. We don't want to cling to the events of the past and, and dwell on them. We want to watch for the new thing that God wants to do in your life. The Bible says that though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. See, even, even a righteous man may fall, but, but the scripture says that he will rise again. In other words, he'll get up, he'll move ahead, he'll, he'll get going again. You see, God wants to do a new thing in your life. I believe that God wants to do a new thing in your marriage. You believe that? Like, like I really believe no matter how desperate your marriage is that, that God wants to do a new thing. God wants to do a new thing in our city. God wants to do a new thing in that relationship in your life. God wants to do a new thing in this church. And we've got to begin to accept his forgiveness. We've got to begin to move beyond our past and, and stop limiting God on what he can do and what he wants to do in our life. Stop beating ourselves up, realizing that we, yeah, maybe we've made a mistake or two. And, and see, the enemy wants us to bury our head in the past. But you see, Christ wants us to do a new thing. And he wants us to put our head and face forward and move ahead with him. I talk to so many people who <clears throat> are just living a defeated life, you know. You know, as I'm counseling with people and meeting with people every week, it's like, you know, Trent, I've sinned, I've done this, I've done that, and, and I just, you know, I can't get over it, or, or I don't feel like God could ever use me, I don't feel like God is, could, could, could ever restore, or could could, could, could ever move me. God's never gonna give me another spouse. God's never gonna this and God. And so all these limits upon God. And, 
And it's like, that's not, when I read the Bible, that is not what I see. That is not what I see God doing in our life. The truth is, God loves to give second chances. And maybe you're somebody that would say, I need a second chance. I need a second chance and I, I, I need his grace. I need his love. I need his forgiveness. I wanna accept that forgiveness and I wanna move forward to that new thing that God wants me to experience. And so today as we focus on this and we think about forgiving ourselves, we think about regret as we think about all this stuff, I've asked the band to come and sing a song and they're gonna come in just a minute just to kind of sing over us, a really chill, beautiful song that, that really has some powerful truths. I want you guys to, as we hear this, just to you know, embrace what the Spirit of God wants to do in your heart today. And so we're asking him, God, what are you doing in our heart? What do you want me to do with this? And so as we do that, I, I encourage you, maybe it's time or, or, or God kind of leads you kind of to come you know, down front like we've been doing the last couple of weeks and, and just pray and spend some time in prayer, like, like making some things right with God, forgiving yourself, forgiving someone else, dealing with that as, as, as the Spirit is moving in this place. Perhaps for you, you've never accepted Christ. And so for you, like that's the first step. You've never received his grace. And so forgiving yourself, overcoming your guilt never happens until you first experience his love through Jesus Christ. And so um, I encourage you before you head out today, because this is a big decision. This, is, this needs explanation. And so, so I encourage you as you leave out these back doors to your left, there's a room called the prayer and care room. If you ever have a decision, if you ever want somebody to pray with you, that's the room I encourage you to go to. And especially if you're, if you're somebody here today that would say, I need Christ in my life. I've never accepted him into my life. This day is for you. So as I pray, you begin to pray. And as the band comes and leads, I encourage you guys just to move and and let's spend some time in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. Lord, we confess that we in fact are sinful. We confess so many sins in our life today Lord, and some of that is is the fact that we can't forgive ourselves and maybe there's somebody else we just can't forgive, whatever it is. God, we, we pray that you would in fact lead us to that moment of confession. Lead us into that season of accepting your love and forgiveness. And ultimately, God, forgiving ourselves Lord, this is not an easy task. There are folks that are dealing with pain that it's not just happening now. It it happened a year ago, five years ago. We still hold grudges. Those grudges are people that we say we love, but they're still there, God. And it's keeping us from experiencing the truth. It's keeping us from living life abundantly it's darkened the lens that we look through and this lens that we look through is the decisions that we make each day God and everything is affected by this situation Lord we confess it to you we want to bring it to you today and we pray all these things in Jesus name